So listen, we are going to continue today in this uh, series on prayer. I'm going to probably move this just a smidge because you know, y'all know I walk and pace and I'll end up knocking a microphone over and that would be bad. So um, listen, the first week, you guys got your handouts again, right? You're like, why do you keep giving us the same handout? Because the pattern of prayer is important (laughs) because it gives you a foundation for your prayer time. It gives you a foundation as we remember that the Lord's Prayer taught us Not to pray these words, but to pray like this, in this way, for these things. Prayers that are oriented around loving God and loving others, which includes ourselves and our enemies. That's the one we struggle with. Most of all, we learned as we looked at the Lord's Prayer and the pattern of prayer, that prayer is not a complex religious ritual. There's no time for that. Complex religious rituals are not life-changing. But prayer is a conversation with our loving dad. And that's what God invites us to. And that was the pattern that Jesus gave us. The second week, we talked about the power of prayer. And in that, we recognize that we are not only invited to prayer, we are charged to prayer. We are commissioned to prayer. We are commanded to prayer. And in that, prayer should not be the crisis management tool in our lives. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's no better place to turn in crisis than to prayer. There are moments in my life that are marked. There was a a heart-stopping phone call that we got about one of the boys. And the minute I hung up the phone, I hit my prayer room on my face while Rick worked out flights for me to get there. Prayer is absolutely necessary in crisis, but the purpose of prayer is not that it is our crisis management tool, but that it is our daily, regular hourly interaction with God. And in that prayer is both privilege and responsibility. We talked a lot, you guys. You did pretty well. I had some great questions, great conversations about the spiritual warfare that is involved in prayer, the reality that our prayers make known God's will in the heavenlies. Like that spiritual warfare is the real deal, and and God lays that out for us in Scripture. And the question we were left with at the end of week two is that while we are battling an enemy who is in permanence defeated, <laughs> will we fight the battle today? Will we pick up our swords and our, hit our knees and fight? Or will we surrender? And we talked about the power of prayer. Today, we're going to talk about the purpose of prayer. Now, in that, I want to ask a question. Because we, y'all, we keep it real here, right? Whether you're online or in the room, like we keep it real. So I'm going to ask a real question while everybody's got their happy little church faces on. Why don't we pray? Why don't we pray? Mm. I'm, I am sure every one of you has a vibrant, continual, continuous prayer life. So let's, let's phrase it a little differently. If we were playing Family Feud and we were going to name the top 10 reasons why people don't pray, Y'all got a few more people. Y'all are looking sharp. So we're going to do this side against this side. Top 10. Come on. Why don't people pray? Busy. Busy. Scared. Ritualistic. Think we have the answers. It doesn't work. Doesn't work. Overstressed. Lazy. No faith. Those are some good answers, y'all. When pastor's sitting in a group of people and says, 
would anyone like to close us out in prayer? And the room falls silent, kind of like when Mary was like, does anybody want to share the memory verse today? And y'all were like, oh, no, not me, not Colin. In that moment, why don't people say, me? Uncomfortable, self-conscious, not sure they're going to do it right. Yeah, Actually, there were nine reasons that were given that were the top nine, not the top ten, but I think y'all got some great ones, and you hit on them. It won't make a difference. We feel far away from God. We're embarrassed. We don't know how. There's all these distractions. Oh, nobody said this one, but this was high on the list. It's boring. Ooh, somebody was being real in the survey. We're going to say the wrong thing. We don't believe God will listen. We don't want to be disappointed. When I was in seminary years ago, we um, doing some research on a class on prayer, and this quote punched me in the gut. <laughs> it's my warning to y'all. It's my public service announcement before we read this. I want to come over here, and I want to read this to you. We're going to unfold it as it goes, all right? There is a moment between intending to pray and actually praying that is as dark and silent as any moment in our lives. It is the split second between thinking about prayer and really praying. You know the moment when you're like, I should pray. Or the moment where you see someone that needs prayer and you go, I'm going to pray for you when I get home. Or the moment where your temper flares and there's a little knock that says, stop and pray. And maybe you lean into everything that they say about redheads. I don't know. That moment is as dark and silent as any moment in our lives. For some of us, this split second may last for decades. It seems then that the greatest obstacle to prayer is the simple matter of beginning, the simple exertion of the will, the starting the acting, the doing, how easy it is, and yet, how easy it is, and yet we still pause, we still wait. Some of us spend another 5, 10, or 15 years in that incredibly pregnant pause. Between us and the possibility of prayer, there seems to be a great gulf fixed, an abyss of our own making that separates us from God. I want to read the whole quote to you guys and let it sink in as we jump into the purpose today. There is a moment between intending to pray and actually praying that is as dark and silent as any moment in our lives. It is the split second between thinking about praying and really praying. For some of us, this split second may last for decades. It seems then that the greatest obstacle to prayer is the simple matter of beginning, the simple exertion of will, the starting, the acting, the doing, how easy it is, and yet, between us and the possibility of prayer, there seems to be a great gulf fixed, an abyss of our own making that separates us from God. We can have all the reasons in the world, but God does not desire us to be separated from him. 
God desires us to be close to him, to be in relationship with him, to walk with him and talk with him. That in him we would have our being. I want us to turn, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to actually turn to Genesis. You're like, Genesis? Hmm, Genesis 3. (laughs) Because there was a time... We get three chapters of what perfection looked like and the whole rest of the Bible (laughs) to talk about how to get back to it, except that prayer is a tether to it, but I'm getting ahead. Genesis 3, verses 8 and 9. Now, if you're not familiar with the story or you're not sure right where we're picking up, Adam and Eve have everything. There's the one tree they can't have, but they have everything else. God has given them perfection, created the world for them to rule and reign over, to to steward, by the way. We take that word rule in a very authoritarian way, and it means to steward the earth. And by the way, not to rule over each other, but that's a whole other sermon series. So let me get back to where we're at. They have everything, and God walks with them daily. He talks with them daily. There's this pattern where even though they have perfection, the perfection is in the relationship with God, and God walks with them in the evening and in the cool of the day, and they make a mistake. They commit the sin. They do the one thing God told them not to do. And in that, their eyes are opened, they become embarrassed because before they were naked and unafraid and now they're naked and ashamed and they're gathering up all the fig leaves trying to sew them together before God shows up for the afternoon. And that's where we're at. We all good? Have you ever been in a season in your life where you know you needed to pray, you knew your meeting with God was coming and you found yourselves hiding in a quarter, sewing together some proverbial fig leaves because you didn't want to face God with all the stuff you had. Mm. Read with me. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking into the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Where are you? Did God know where they were? Yeah. Yeah. Did God know why they were hiding? He knew what they had done? God said, I know what you did, but I'm still here to meet with you. Where are you? Church, God knew what you did and what I did before we ever did it. (laughs) And Jesus still came. And the Holy Spirit still indwells the sons and daughters of God. You see, part of why we don't pray in those reasons of, he seems so distant, I don't know if he'll answer my prayers. The world envisions this far-off, distant God that is hard to please. Depending on what religion people ascribe to, there's a whole vast array of just how far away God is and just how little he actually cares. But that's not the God we serve. That's not the true God. See, God in who he is is near and with us. One of the passages I love says, let your gentleness be evident to all for the Lord is near. See, people should encounter God through our gentleness. Another sermon, another day. 
but we serve a God who is near, who is watching, who is cheering us on, who is praying for us, who is dwelling within us. That's who's showing up day after day after day, saying, Jen, where are you? Rick? Caleb? I'm just picking on my family. I won't pick on y'all. Where are you? I want you to think of a close relationship. Your best friend, your sibling, your spouse. What if every conversation you had with them was informational or transactional? I mean, let me break it down a little more real. What if every time Rick and I went to talk, it was simply, what's your schedule today? What's for dinner? Did you fix this? Did you mow the lawn? Did you do this? Did you do this? I did this. How about this? Hey, what are we doing for the kids? Good, got it, good, done. And all the conversation we ever had simply revolved around the tasks and to-dos of our life. Or what if it was all transactional? What if the only time that Rick talked to me or I talked to him was to say, hey, would you do this for me? Hey, I think we need to increase our budget here. Hey, I'd like to buy this. Can you help me with that? Hey, I'm scared about this. Hey, this person needs help. Would you go talk to them? Hey, would you, would you, would you, would you, would you, would you, would you? What kind of a marriage would we have? Empty? I mean, what kind of a friendship would that be? If the, we've had, dare I say at some point, we've probably all been, even if it was just for a hot second, the friend that's only about what, what can you give me? What can you give me? What can we do? And I'd like to propose that half of what holds us back from talking to God is, is, is we don't know how to enter in because we think of our prayer, we think of our conversations as informational or transactional. Give me guidance. Do this for me. Help me with this. Let me do this. Not even that those things are bad. It's not bad information. It's not bad requests. But God wants more. And we have to stop talking to God like he is a cashier or a colleague or the principal. Okay? Yeah, I'm going to let that sit, sink for a minute. We get all spun up about, oh, Father, oh, this, oh, that, Heavenly Father, God, this, great King of Kings, or can I, can I be mad at God? Is that okay? Look, you can do anything with God. He's your creator, and he's not interested in an informational, transactional conversation with you. He's interested in a relationship. And, you know, there are times people are like, well, I, I don't pray that long. You know what? Start out praying what you're comfortable with. There, there are times... There have been a few times in my life where I have labored in prayer the entire night. That's not the norm. We don't have to make it all formal and fancy. You know, when, when we were learning Arabic, Pastor Jessica and I were at language school together. When we were learning Arabic, there's the big formal language. Like if you want to say, how are you today in Arabic? Except nobody talks like that. It's simply kafik. How you doing? We don't have to approach God with, how are you today, God? Kafik, how you doing? Here's how I'm doing. I'm scared. We don't have to play, oh, Heavenly Father, please, I have so many trials and travail. God, I'm scared. There's a big mountain in front of me. I need you to move the mountain or I need you to tell me how to climb it. Like, what are we doing here? 
Because God is relational. He is always present. He is always there. He is not the principle. And, and going to God in prayer is a continual opportunity to answer his question. Where are you? Because it wasn't just a physical question. Do you think for one second he was just asking Adam and Eve, are you behind the bush? <laughs> uh, never mind. Um, and so in that, where are you hiding? What are you doing? No, where is your heart? Where's your emotions? Where are your thoughts and your feelings and your fears? Where are you? Because God says, I am here. Come and talk to me. I came to meet with you. And I'm just waiting for you to drop the water line and have the conversation. True prayer is not transactional. It is relational. So th that was the moment where the talking and the relationship were established. And despite their great sin, God showed up. I know what you did, but here I am. And he establishes a pattern. But how does that continue in our prayer now? And, and we look to Jesus for the pattern of prayer with the Lord's Prayer. I always, man, if we can start with Jesus, let's just start there, okay? For a baseline, I don't think there's a better one. And so what does Jesus do? What, is, what does he show us in his own prayer life? There's this day in Mark, and it's at the beginning of his ministry. It kind of sets a foundation. But Jesus is going out, and in, uh, let me see, I'm in Mark chapter 1. And Jesus announces the good news. Jesus calls his disciples. He's having a pretty busy week. Jesus drives out an impure spirit. He goes into the synagogue and he teaches. He makes the impure spirit run out. Then if that's not enough for the day, then he goes back to Peter's and Peter's mom has a fever. And so, yeah, it says in the evening that he, let me see, verse 32, that evening after sunset, the people brought all the sick and demon-possessed to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door. See, he healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law from her fever, so then the town heard it. They brought everybody. So the day's just getting busier and busier and busier. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Like, he has the ministry day of all days. You want to talk about a launch party? Jesus had it. Like, doesn't get any better, right? So what does he do the next day? How does he reset? Read with me. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Very early the next morning, you think he was exhausted? He was fully man and fully God. You think he was whooped from the day before? I, I think he was. I've had like the, the ministry days where you give all you got. <laughs> but he went out very early the next morning. That's not the only time Jesus went out very early the next morning. Scripture is full of references where it says Jesus went off to pray. Jesus got up in the morning to pray. Jesus, see, Jesus set a time for prayer. And, and the goal is not to be legalistic, but y'all, God has made an appointment with us. Maybe we should make an appointment with him. Setting a time for prayer shows significance. And you know what? I hear you. Some of the reasons we don't pray. We're busy. We're distracted. There's so much happening. My schedule is so crammed full. But can I point out that Jesus was responsible for the disciples? 
he called them. That very time, he called his disciples, but he left them to go pray. Jesus was responsible for the people. He came to shepherd them and to save them. The ministry Jesus was doing was vital. He was healing. He was proclaiming the good news. He was casting out demons. He was doing all the things. And there were probably still dishes and laundry to get done, if we're honest. And it was a little harder back then than it is now. And yet, none of that prevented Jesus from taking time, from setting time to go and pray. None of it prevented Jesus from taking time to go spend with his father in conversation. Now, can we just be honest? If anybody could rest on their laurels, the son of God could rest on his laurels. He is God. Like if anybody could get a pass on prayer time, it's Jesus. And instead of taking a pass, and being like, I'll just commune with God inside my head. We're one and the same, different, same. Y'all never figure it out till you get to us. But trust me, it's good. And instead, he taught us to make an appointment with prayer, to make time for prayer. So I have a question, church. What is getting in the way of your time with God? Everybody's answer may be different, but ask yourself, you, got your, you know what, you got your words on this side, but there's all these blank lines on this side. That was intentional. <laughs> what is getting in the way of your time with God? By the way, Mark continues after it says Jesus went off to a quiet place to pray. It says, Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to a nearby village so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled through Galilee preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. You see, I want you to catch this. Jesus took time away from his incredibly vital, important, busy ministry launch to go and pray. And in his next steps, He took his prayer time and that guided him to his next steps. It affirmed his ministry and it sent him out so he was sure of what to do next. Prayer affirmed and reinforced his purpose. Again, he's God. If he, well, I'm just going to leave. Y'all are being quiet, so I'm going to assume you're just taking that in. <laughs> Jesus set a place, or set a time for prayer. Read with me Luke 5, 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus didn't just set a time for prayer. He set a place for prayer. I actually had a whole stack of papers, and I think I left them over at my seat, that talks about all the places Jesus withdrew to the wilderness to pray. Jesus left. It's okay, Caleb. Jesus left his disciples and went to pray. Jesus went up into the mountains to pray. Jesus went up into the garden to pray. The Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane Right before his death is not the only time Jesus hung out there. He frequented that place to pray. Jesus set a place for prayer. Now, can you pray anywhere? Yes, absolutely. Matter of fact, I encourage you to pray everywhere. Breath prayers in your car, um, in the store, prayers in your bed, prayers at the table. All the prayers are good. But remember, this is relational 
It's not just transactional. And so there should be a place that you have set that is your prayer place. You should have a prayer closet. You should have a prayer spot. Why? How hard, being honest, who has trouble settling in? Like you really want to go pray. You really want to have a deep conversation with God. And it takes you 5, 10, 20 minutes to settle in. Like, you, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, oh, wait, I forgot this. Or, oh, wait, I see that. Or, or, or wait, I did this. You set a place for prayer because we all have muscle memory. And when you set the place, then the minute you enter that place, once you have disciplined yourself to spend time there, the minute you enter that place, your heart rate drops, you, like all the water lines drop, you don't have to settle in, your body does that. And you're like, I don't know about that. All right, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep it secular for a minute. Um, when I was in high school, our psych teacher she was pretty amazing. And she taught us, like, she's like, y'all struggle to do your homework. You need to set a place for your homework. And it can't be the kitchen table or the dining room table, and it can't be your beds. Because she's like, who tries to do their homework at the table, and the first thing you want to do is go get a snack? Yes? Muscle memory, because the table's for eating. She's like, Y'all, there's only, well, she didn't say y'all. She was much more articulate than that. But to a group of high school seniors, she's like, the bed is only for two things, and you shouldn't be doing one of them. So it's only for sleep for you. (laughs) So don't lay on your bed to do your homework because you're going to get sleepy right away. We set a place for our regular prayer time with God because there's muscle memory. And when we enter into it, we're two-thirds of the way there and the distraction battle, and the busy battle, and all the things fall away. And we walk into this place of peace. In our old house, we had, there was a really small bedroom upstairs, and I turned it into my prayer room. And all I had to do was walk in. And it was like, I just cut 20 minutes out of the prep time. It's been a real struggle, because, you know, you know, we moved into a renovation zone, right? We're finally getting through that. So I'm finally establishing this place in the corner of my bedroom by the glass doors that kind of looks out. But bouncing for that 14 months, I was like, I need my prayer spot. Jesus teaches us to set a place to pray. And if you don't have one, that's okay, but think about where it can be. And it doesn't have to be a room. It can literally be a closet. It can be your car. I have turned my car on the drive to the gym into a prayer place. Once I learn to settle myself in, I've got 15 minutes in the morning before my brain's totally awake, so it's certainly not all my prayer time, but I dedicated that place. And for the first two weeks, it was tough. But now it's a pattern, and I fall right in, and I'm ready to go. So some of you have an hour-long commute or more. (laughs) Plus, y'all, prayer helps the commute. I'm just saying Where's your place to pray? And if you don't have one, establish one. Jesus didn't just set a time to pray or a place to pray. I want to invite you to read a couple verses with me. And as we start to read these, I want to let you know where we're at. Jesus is going to the Garden of Gethsemane for the last time in his earthly form. And he is getting ready to pray. It's after the Last Supper. He takes the disciples. They go out of the Last Supper in worship up to the Mount of Olives. They're going to pray. Read these verses. And we're going to skip around a couple, but I want you to see the pattern, okay? Read these verses with me. Going a little farther, 
he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Pause. What cup? What cup was it? Crucifixion. Torture. Death. And Jesus said, if it's possible, Dad, can, can, is there some other way? But if it's not, not as I will, but as you will. Go to the next verse. He went away a second time and prayed, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. If there's no other way, Dad, your will. One more. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Jesus set a posture of prayer. And it wasn't a physical posture. People ask, do I have to bow my head? Do I have to look up? Do I get on my knees? Wherever you're led, that's not the posture that matters. What matters is the posture of our hearts that says, not my will, God, but your will. Can I suggest when we resist his will, the very, very hard thing he's asking us to do becomes insurmountable because we're resisting the very one who wants to empower us to do it. Because we're saying no to our creator who equipped us to do the thing. Because even if we resist God and then stomp off to do it begrudgingly, then that's in our own strength. And we can't do the very hard things in our own strength. God said, in, my, in your weakness, my power is made perfect, God said. And so when we submit our hearts, when our posture, when the posture of our hearts is your will, God, this is hard right now, and I don't want to do this. But if there's no other way, your will. I don't want to stay at this job anymore, but your will. I don't want to go to a new job, but your will. This marriage is really hard right now, but your will. I don't want to let my kid go off because they're going to fail. I can see the train wreck coming, but you said I have to let your will. I don't want to do the thing, but if that's what I have to do, God, a budget, ugh, it's in here. Forgiveness, your will. When we posture our hearts to surrender to God's will, his strength empowers us, and the very hard thing becomes miraculously possible. What is the very hard thing that God has asked you to do? Maybe you're not in a season of hard at all. Take a note. Store it deep because it's coming. Maybe you look back at seasons of really hard and you're like, man, that was way harder than it should have been. God asked me to do it. Why was it so hard? What was the posture of your heart when you said yes? 
there's times where I have said, okay, God, and then I stomp off like a middle schooler to do it because I want to do it. But that's probably just me. Gina, that just, just me, you think? Just me. Okay, yeah, just me. We have to posture our hearts to submit to the will of God. 1 John 5.14 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Remember the first week we talked about our prayer requests and we pulled out James 4.3, make your requests. You make your request, but you do not get it because you are desiring it for your own pleasure. (laughs) You see, there's a really big difference between how God answers our prayer. By the way, God always answers. It's yes, no, maybe, or wait. Like, it's one, it's yes, no, or wait, because he already knows the maybe. That's what we hear. But how he answers our prayer and how we walk out the answers to our prayer has everything to do with the posture of our heart. One of the other things that we covered in week one that I just want to reiterate, that when our prayers do not honor the will of God, what did Jesus say? Don't be like those hypocrites. Don't be like those hypocrites. We can't pray something that's outside God's will. We can't pray, burn him to the ground, God. <laughs> the disciples actually did that. Do you know that? There's a verse where they're like, Jesus, you want us to call down fire from heaven to rain on them? And he's like, what is wrong with you? We're almost, we're at the three-year mark, and you're still saying stupid stuff like that. What is the posture of my heart as I approach God? Alexander McLaren said this, the true end of prayer is to get our wills harmonized with his, not to bend his will to ours. We doing okay, church? Getting some more tools, getting some more heart knowledge, not just head knowledge of how we do this prayer thing. So in the garden, God was waiting. Where are you? He said. What about after the garden? Because you're like, yeah, Pastor Jen, but then the whole fall thing, and he kicked him out of the garden. So was he not there anymore because they were still with him? No. Jeremiah 29, 12, and 13. Read this with me. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your hearts. You will seek me and find me, God says. He doesn't say you will find my words. We will. He doesn't say you will find my wisdom. We will. He doesn't say you will find my forgiveness. We will. But he says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Church, if there's one thing that we can transform our prayer lives and thereby transform our lives by. It is the knowledge that prayer is not just communication with God. It is communion with God. Communication's great. 
But I can talk to Pastor Rick all day long. If we don't commune, if we don't sit together, if we don't hold hands, if I don't spend time, then we just had a great conversation and that, woohoo. Prayer is not just communication, it's communion. So the bottom line is this. What's the purpose of prayer? Prayer is an invitation into the very presence of God. God is there. God is in the garden. God is present. The Lord is near. There is nowhere we can go that God is not there. From the depths to the heights to the east to the west, no matter where it is, God is there. And as we struggle to do life on our own, as we struggle to figure it out, as we struggle with the sin that is hidden or the guilt or the shame or we struggle to forgive someone or we struggle with what's next in our lives, God is right there. And he's asking us the same question he asked Adam and Eve. Where are you? Would you stand and pray? Glory to your name, God. Glory to your name, God. Glory to your name, God. God, I don't, I don't know about anybody else in the room, but I feel the conviction. I feel the reminder. I feel the encouragement to prioritize conversation and communion with you. God, so we first confess that we haven't made you that priority, that we haven't made a place, that sometimes the posture of our heart is not what it should be. And so, God, thank you that you forgive us readily. <laughs> God, as we listen to your word this morning, thank you for reminding us that we need to have a place. We need to make you a priority, that we need to not just be asking a cashier, that we need to be more interested in communing with you in coming to seek you. Because you are indeed the same God who is the God in the garden asking us, where are you? So God, we are here this morning. Our hearts are here. And we make a new commitment to commune with you, the same God of the garden. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.